0: Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. My name is Justin Schell. I am your host. And today I'm chatting with Michael Morgan, academic dean and associate professor of historical theology at William Tennant School of Theology. Michael is the author of John Newton, Catalyst for Compassion. And today we are going to be discussing the Log College, this great awakening time period uh, fellowship and training ground uh, on the Atlantic seaboard. And we're going to try to learn all that we can from their fellowship, from their training, from their networking, uh, to say, how can God teach us from their example today? What can we learn as, uh, as denominations, as training institutions, as circles of friends who love the Lord and want to see the gospel go forth? So let's turn to that conversation now. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Justin. I'm really thankful.
0: Oh, man. I'm so excited uh, about, to, to see you again and about this conversation today. As you know, we are talking this season on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast about Reformation and fellowship, about um, these, these communities, past and present, that the Lord brought together. Uh, maybe around an institution, maybe around a denomination, maybe around uh, a, a friendship, and, uh, and created these rich circles of friends, which then he used, uh, because of his grace, through his, 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 his sovereign uh, power to see then reformation or revival or renewal or mission taking place. And so I'm excited to talk to you today about the Log College. Hey, tell us, uh, before we get too far into the conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at, what you're doing, uh, what, what family and church looks like for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm married. Uh, my wife is Kate and we have three, uh, wonderful and it's, it's crazy to say, it, but young adult children. Now our youngest is 17, 17, 19, 21, uh, been in, been in ministry, vocational ministry, my, my entire adult life uh, started out uh, with a ministry called crew uh, worked with their inner city division uh, in, in urban Denver and then uh, transferred over to their prison ministry for a few years. Um, we planted a church and pastored there for about 15 years. Meanwhile, I was plugging away at seminary um, uh did an MDiv and then just was really enjoying that and and went to Gordon Conwell and did a, a DMin uh and got to study John Newton and just I loved that and it just kind of wet my appetite for more and and so now I'm I'm trying to finish up a PhD on William Wilberforce and his clergy connections and mm. shifting ecclesiastical coalitions in uh 18th and 19th century England and uh and then 2018 um The the family of churches that I work with, the Calvary family of churches, uh, commissioned me to to lead out uh, on a new school of theology. As we were sending out leaders, we just saw this great need uh, to train up, uh, raise up leaders uh, as they're going out, planting churches and replanting churches across the Mountain West and beyond. And so we started William Tennant School of Theology, and Mm. that's where I serve now. Um. And I wonder if just for our listeners who
0: maybe that's a they've never heard the law college. What in the world is that? So let's start there. And just could you tell us what was the law college? And maybe you can say, is is there still a law college? But what is what was the law college? Uh, Why? When? How did it get? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, I'm delighted for this time, Justin. This is a this is such a joy. So thanks again for having me on this. Uh, and that's a great question. Uh, you know what what is uh, the log college? historically, um, it, it has its roots in the early eighteenth century. Uh, and and you know, on the eastern seaboard, uh, we're we're talking about colonies of England at this time, you know, so this mm-hmm. is not United States of America. but mm-hmm. but in the East, you know, and in, in Eastern Pennsylvania and other places, uh, there weren't a lot of options for theological education. And so, uh, you know, at the time we think of the, or now we think of the East coast as, you know, developed in and cities and, and this sort of thing, but this is the frontier. Mm. Uh, this, is, this is a period where, it, it, you know, there's the population isn't terribly dense. There's not a lot of people. And like I said, for education, and particularly for ministerial education, Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of options on the table. And there was a Presbyterian pastor uh, named William Tennant, and he had four sons, all of whom were interested in going into the ministry. Uh, but the options that were on the table for education at the time were either to go up to New England and maybe attend uh, New Haven, um, Yale, or go to Harvard. Uh, and if not New England, then perhaps go to Europe or you know, somewhere in, in uh, England, you know, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, that sort of thing. And yeah. so that's really cost prohibitive. Uh, and it also takes people out of their context, their ministry context. Yeah. And so that created tension for a lot of young people that were feeling called to gospel ministry early on. And so Tenet has these four sons who are all promising ministry leaders. And his oldest, Gilbert, he begins to train in his home. And this isn't entirely a novel idea. Uh, you know, in the 18th century, people would bring uh, apprentice, you know, um, like up and coming ministry leaders into their home and, and train them. And mm. so Tennant first started with his son and then another son and another son and then another guy outside of their family. And, and like I said, this wasn't entirely a new idea or something that hadn't been done but Tennant began to do it on a broader scale than many others. And so around 1735, they ended up building a log cabin. Uh, and it was maybe, I, I've read different things, maybe 20 by 20 or may, maybe only, yeah I read somewhere else is 200 square feet. I don't know if it's 200 or 400 square feet, but it was a small little log cabin uh, right on the... Uh, right on the edge of Pennsylvania and New Jersey and people started showing up and saying, can I be trained for ministry as well? But those that that had been trained in more formal contexts at university and that sort of thing, they started to mock what was taking place because Mm. they were meeting in this little humble log cabin. And so they started calling it the log college Uh, and it only lasted, you know, 20-some uh, years or something along these lines after, after William Tennant died. Uh, and, and then it, but the, it, it created kind of a seedbed for this educational movement that spread. And the primary institution that kind of grew out of this is a school, you know, it was College of New Jersey. We now know as Princeton University. So mm-hmm. it's really amazing the story and the, the historical roots there of the Law College and Tennant and his family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so it started as a homeschool movement, we might say.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, tell us, do we know, what do we know about the training, the sort of training that was included for for the students there?
1: Yeah. Well, so like I said, it wasn't entirely unheard of to do this kind of ministerial training. And and so Tennant would, you know, he would bring people into his home uh, with his wife and his family, and they would live with them. Uh, sometimes, I mean, some of the students were at the Log College for five plus years. And so mm-hmm. the, there was a lot of modeling of the Christian life that was taking place. Uh, one author refers to what what he was doing there, or what happened there is that these students became surrogate sons. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were... They were living together. He was. They were getting to watch his life, not just learn his doctrine, but his way of life, his um, the way that he was a, a father and a husband and a pastor. All these different dimensions, and so that was. I, I would say that incarnational aspect was primary, but then there was also, you know, there was a heavy stress on the academic disciplines, like the languages, for instance. Uh, Tenet was known to be really proficient with Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and his students uh, gained a reputation that they were fantastic, particularly with Greek. And so in their sermons, if you look at instances of their sermons, people said that their their handle of the Greek New Testament was, you know, unsurpassed by other preachers. Uh, And so... So they were learning, you know, the academic disciplines, they were, they were learning theology, uh, you know, they're Presbyterian. So they're holding to the Westminster standards. Um, they're learning scripture, old Testament, new Testament, and so on and so forth. But it's not this like dry theological, you know, cerebral kind of exercise where they're just learning things. There's also, Tennant had this huge emphasis on the new birth. And so there's this experiential aspect to what he's passing along to these guys. You, you have to be born again. You need to know Jesus, man. And, mm-hmm. and, and the people that you're preaching to need to know Jesus. And so this of course gets his oldest son, Gilbert into hot water, because Gilbert is this, you know, son of thunder kind of character who's calling mm-hmm. out unconverted ministers and this sort of thing in their parishes and saying that they, you know, they don't know Jesus. Therefore, how can they lead anybody else? And and there's, there's a lot of conflict around that, but, but back to your uh, question about the training, there's this, there's this emphasis, not only on the academics, but also on holiness, you know, living the Christian life and community and this heartfelt, uh, heartfelt experience of, of our wonderful you know, Savior, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's like it's that delighting in the Trinity kind of you know uh, mm-hmm. kind of posture that that these students were imbibing from Tennant and uh, and his family. Mm-hmm. Now, the education I think was a bit tighter in scope than maybe what some of the students would get at like a typical university, and so they would be criticized for that, you know, because it was they're focusing primarily on on the biblical languages, on theology, on the scriptures. It's more of like what we would think of as a, a seminary today. I, I think he gave a nod to some other, some of these other academic disciplines, but that's where I think they really spent the bulk of their time. And, and so that would be another reason why uh, those outside of the Log College would look at what was going on and say, you know, this isn't uh, legitimate or it's not, it's not a real, education because they're they're not giving the same attention to some of these other academic disciplines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the, how um, that combination of uh, theological rigor, um, we're going to know our stuff, but we're going to know God uh, mm-hmm. most of all. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, uh, you mentioned how part of the the training, maybe the uns, unscripted, the extracurricular parts of the training was uh, spending time with uh, the tenant family, with I'm assuming with others. Could you tell us a little bit more about the the relationships that were built maybe among students, maybe from uh Well, tell us where there other faculty other than William Tennant himself, but then kind of relationally, what what happened there, and even, I mean, we're talking about first Great Awakening era, yeah. And so even beyond the those who studied there, there were there seemed to be friendships, wide ranging, reaching friendships that this little college. Somehow was connected, even in a sense, globally. So yeah, tell us, yeah. tell us about the relational, I guess, ecosystem yeah. of the college. right.
1: Well, you're spot on about the relationships and the and the first great awakening and what's taking place. I mean, there are transatlantic connections that are being made, uh and there's a handful of names that we all know pretty well. You know, there's. George Whitfield and so he's the great evangelist the the great trumpeter the great preacher who supposedly can make whole crowds cry just by saying the word Mesopotamia you know which is of course you know uh, you know nonsense but but he's saying that's he's an tr- urban legend <laughs> I think I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say oh, that whole wow. crowds didn't cry because he said Mesopotamia, but, but he's in, he's in relationship with the Wesley brothers, John and Charles. And they, of course, prior to even experiencing the new birth themselves are in the Holy club at Oxford. And uh, he takes, you know, Whitfield takes, I don't know, some 14 trips up to Scotland. He's, he's building relationships there. I, I believe he takes six transatlantic voyages uh, to America and he's traveling up and down the Eastern seaboard and he's making connections with Jonathan Edwards and Massachusetts, and then mm-hmm. also making connections with Tennant and the log college uh, in the middle colonies. And so it's, you're absolutely right. There's, there's this interesting form uh, or, or can, there's this interesting friendship network that is forming uh, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's a relatively tight network and not, not all of those people I mentioned were in community with one another, but, but certainly when you, when you kind of zoom in from this larger picture of what was taking place in the great awakening to the log college and Tennant and his students, as you already said, yes, they were, they were living together. Presumably they're spending time with other students. Now, to be fair, there weren't a lot of graduates that went through the log college and, and they were staggered. And so I don't know the exact numbers. I mean, there might have been, you know, two or three or four or five or six at a time, perhaps that were, you know, overlapping with one another. But what we see is that they did maintain close relationships with one another afterwards. In fact, there's a new Presbytery that is formed uh, kind of as a result of, of some of this uh, in New Brunswick. Um, and then and then there's some division amongst. Presbyterians over their attitude towards the revival. That's especially as it hits its peak, 1740 to 1742. um, There is there's tension around: is this something that we should be supporting, or are we against it? And so there's the new side and the old side, or new lights and old lights, and and those tenant or, or those log college grads are are new side Presbyterians. And so they're mm-hmm. they're working together. And, and then even we see is, you know, after Williamton has passed away uh, and then the log college, you know, shuts down formally and then they start up College of New Jersey or, or Princeton. A whole string of these guys are are presidents uh, mm-hmm. of of Princeton. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it seems that they're continuing to work together uh, in some kind of lasting relationship well beyond their time in the the law college itself yeah. and then like you said the the larger picture of what's taking place is is really dynamic really unusual mm. um, when you consider all of the the various players in the great awakening and like i said we've got whitfield the preacher wesley the organizer you know his little brother charles the the, the songwriter edwards the theologian and then you've got Tennant, the educator and their their paths are all intersecting with one another. I mean, imagine imagine a church staff with all of these guys working mm-hmm. together. I mean, it's just a dynamic a, a dynamic group of of leaders that God used in a in a tremendous way in that period. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's it's pretty interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, kind of what I'd like to talk about next is the the impact or the, the missional impact, the gospel impact uh, coming out of, out of the college. And of, and of course, again, knowing that this is happening in the, in the Great Awakening, they're not responsible for everything. <laughs> they were not the only players. Um, how, how did, uh, what kind of impact were they hoping for? Uh, obviously they didn't want students to have to travel um, you know, back to Old England for, mm-hmm. for education. so that was one reason maybe you start this school, but um, certainly they, I'm sure they had ministry goals in a sense as well. And so as this network began to form at least there in the middle colonies, um, what what do you think they were hoping for? Maybe they were explicit about it. Um, and what kind of impact did we did we get to see uh, through this, at least these humble beginnings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you're, you're just, I think you're spot on that there were um, there were missional aims around what they were trying to accomplish here uh, that Mm -hmm. they wanted to see gospel impact uh, from, from day one. Whitfield, in fact, in his journal um, wrote that when he, when he visited uh, he, he referred back to them as that that Whitfield was intending on breeding up gracious youths or or raising up gracious young people Mm -hmm. and then sending them out into our Lord's vineyard. Uh, so from, you know, from an outsider's perspective as he interfaces with Tennant and earlier you asked, were there other instructors or faculty? William Tennant was primarily the guy. Uh, Mm. so he, he kind of, he kind of did it from my understanding. He was teaching all of these subjects, but from Whitfield's perspective, when he looked at what Tennant was doing, there was a, there was a missional aim from day one. We want to raise these people up and then send them out. And we see uh, again and again, that's what, that's what happens with, you know, most, all of these, these grads. And there was, again, there was conflict around what they were doing uh, in the, the church polity and the, the synod and, Um, And so there were, there were people trying to stop some of them from, you know, licensure and being able to go and, and uh, occupy, you know, churches and serve as a local pastor there. But, but that was his intent. And that's Mm. actually what, what took place. Uh, And that was part of the reason for the new, the new uh, Presbytery and so on. Um, They're Mm. forming new structures to help, you know, that they can then populate with these people that they're raising up uh, to meet some of the the needs um, for people to to be shepherded and hear the gospel and and this sort of thing. But, but yes, from, from day one, uh, they're involved in this and uh, and then we have to remember too, their network expands beyond just the, the 20 or so students. So there are other little, I don't know, sister I don't know if you want to call them log colleges, but sister schools that that are somehow attached they are one degree removed from what William Tennant was doing and others like, um, Samuel Davies, one of the, one of the great preachers, uh, in Virginia, you know, he's trained in one of these other schools and he's going around and itinerating and telling people about the good news. And, uh, I believe he ends up becoming the president of Princeton after after Edwards died, dies of that, you know, inoculation gone wrong. Um, so so there is this, uh, there's this missional kind of thrust behind everything that they're trying to do. Uh, and And you're absolutely right. They're not the only players in the Great Awakening. Uh, and they're not the cast of figures that we typically think of. Um, I think, I think Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield and the Wesley brothers get most of the credit. And if you move over to Wales and Daniel Rowland and Mm. Powell Harris and some of the others, you know, they're, they're kind of big names, but, but these, these log college guys, a lot of them, we don't really remember their names, but they were significant leaders. Mm. Uh, I I think, I think it was Whitfield that said of Gilbert Tennant, that he he never heard a, such a searching sermon or such a searching preacher mm-hmm. as as Gilbert Tennant. Um, and that's saying something coming from Whitfield and the preachers that he had heard, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and who he had interacted with. Uh, so so yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to quantify exactly what that impact was, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. were throngs of people through the Great Awakening that were meeting Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, churches are being planted and lives are being transformed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's really encouraging for me when I consider all that took place through their through their ministry.
0: Friends, we want to take just a moment out of our conversation to tell you about the upcoming Reformation Fellowship Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, November 11th through 12th. Our theme, the theme that we will gather around. The gospel, our hope, our banner. We want to come together, celebrate the gospel, unite around the gospel, and be encouraged in the gospel. You will hear plenary addresses from Michael Reeves, Dane Ortland, Phil Riken, Jeff Norris. You will also select a track to participate in at the conference. There's a track for any Christian who just wants to go deeper in the faith, there's a track for pastors for women, and a track for theologians and scholars. And the hope for these tracks is to grow you, to develop you, wherever you're at, in whatever way you're serving the church, but also to encourage you by connecting you with others in a similar place. Those tracks are each led by wonderful theologian leaders, and we just know that you're going to be encouraged. So that is November 11th. 12th in Atlanta, Georgia, hosted by Perimeter Church. It will be the first Reformation Fellowship conference in the U.S., and we will gather around the gospel, our hope, our banner. Everything you need to know, you can find at reffellowship.org. That's reffellowship.org. We hope to see you there. Now, you mentioned that kind of there are these other schools popping up. Um, there's some within the Presbytery that would be with them, some who, who wouldn't, they're, they're not big fans of the revival. Uh, there are those even outside of the Presbyterian church. You've got similar things happening. Could you just tell us a little bit more about how that network of relationships interacted with one another, how, whether that's encouragement or saying, hey, send us uh, send us help or h- how did uh these the new lights, I guess, link arms? Uh, if it wasn't necessarily at the presbytery level, at least initially, or um, at the denominational level, yeah,
1: yeah, Anything mind? I, I don't know the year that they started the, the presbytery, I think it was New Brunswick. Um, and then later they, they join, I I think it's with New York and then they start, um, the new side, there's new side Presbyterianism. Uh, and, but, but, you know, prior to this, they're, they're looking for people that, uh, they're looking for people that are theologically, um, on the same page and that are, Pro revival and pro preaching the new birth. Uh, I, I think there is. I think there's an instance of like even reaching out to Jonathan Edwards, where they reached out to Jonathan Edwards. Hey, do you have anybody you could send down here? Um, and I don't believe he did have anyone at the time. But I I think they are. I think they are requesting from one another. Like, who do you have? Can you send this person over here? Or we have a young person that you know is promising. We want to send him to, to William Tennant and to the Log College and get, you know, see if he can be trained and then and then occupy this this ministry post. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of specifics about how that worked itself out, I, I don't know the, you know, the what the how the polity was arranged if there were certain, you know, uh, checkpoints or gateways that they had to, to run through. But one of the problems they were having with the, the synod was that they, they started to put a check on itinerating and, and a check and they, they took away from the local presbytery, the, the authority to essentially ordain or commission their own preachers and said, no, we can evaluate those mm-hmm. preachers ourselves and that move was perceived by the Log College people as, as a censure on what they were doing and as an opportunity for the Synod to then uh, keep the, the Log College men from going around. And so there was a lot of pushback from, from the Log College men uh, against what the Synod was trying to do because they, they perceive that as you, you're stifling the revival work that's taking place. And so I guess one way they were working together is they were ordaining their own people and sending their own people out um, to preach and teach and so on.
0: What a what a time in history, in church history. Um, What a unique group of characters. As you think about uh, those 20 to 30 years there um, at the Law College and uh, and even the things surrounding that what would be some key takeaways in your mind for us today? And that could be for institutions who now say we are training up gospel ministers mm. uh, to proclaim God's word, or maybe it's, maybe it's not an institution. Maybe it's a, a network of like-minded like-hearted uh, pastors in, in a, in a city or in an area. What, what, what could we learn from law
1: uh, yeah, college? Yeah, that's, That's a great question. I I think there's a lot of things that we can learn. I mean, that's why we were inspired to name our new school William Tennant because Mm. of all the things we felt like we could learn. Uh, I think one is just incarnational, the, the value of incarnational ministry when it comes to ministerial formation. I think the trajectory of theological education over the last 15 years towards online education. While that opens up opportunities for people to have access to rich material and, and learn a lot of good facts, there are some things you just can't learn in an online forum. Mm-hmm. And And I think that life on life embodied in fleshed experience uh, is just incredibly important when it comes to raising up uh, leaders. And, and so we want people to to see our lives and not only know our our doctrine and know our teaching. And so I think that's one takeaway for a school. Uh, I think another thing is uh, there's a temptation, you know, to, for schools particularly and institutions particularly, to uh, to to check off all the the accreditation boxes and everything else, and and to be um, To, to, to be credible, to have, to be credible in the eyes of the world. And, and I think Tennant was willing to be a fool for Christ's sake Mm -hmm. um, and, and do something somewhat out of the box and come under fire and say, but I'm doing this for the sake of the gospel. I'm doing this for the sake of raising up leaders that we could then send out so that more people might know Jesus. Uh, and, and they came under a lot of fire for that. Uh, and I think that's something that institutions need to be careful about, that we're not so sophisticated that we lose sight of who we are as followers of, of Christ. Yeah. I think another thing, uh, just there's, you know, there's light and heat uh, in everything, you know, that they, they do. They, they want to promote both this rigor, this academic rigor, and this heartfelt, you know, zeal uh, mm-hmm. for for Christ and His kingdom, and, mm-hmm. and they they wanted to cultivate that in their in their students. And I think for institutions, that's something that we could easily miss, and we could easily focus so much on the light that we lose sight of forming, uh, you know, mm-hmm. people's mm-hmm. heart and. Uh, or their religious, like stirring up their religious affections, the, the inclination of the will towards things that are holy and good and, that, and for Jesus. And then mm-hmm. finally, I, I think there's this like missional posture that institutions can just, we can take a leaf from uh, Tenet's page here and say, hey, we want to just make sure we're training up people to, to be a part of the Missio Dei, God's mission in the world, um, mm-hmm. and and sending them out. And then, it, like, for, for non-institutions, for just, you know, fellowships of like-minded, like-hearted gospel people, uh, I think a takeaway is that with the Log College men, and, and that, that's what they were referred to oftentimes, so I'm using that, that nomenclature, but the Log College men, there, there was this robust theological tether at the center of their fellowship,
0: mm. and
1: and I think that like sometimes we, you know, we want to we want to fellowship, but but there's but there's maybe not the same um, you know rich theological uh, conviction around which we are fellowshipping, and so I think that's something that we could take away perhaps from the log college, uh, and then. You know, and you've kind of already hinted to, at this, but I think another thing is just that transformation happens in these environments where there's just high friendship density, where where you know I'm not just friends with with you, but I'm friends with your friends and they're you know and and so on, and we all are interconnected with one another, and, and we see this uh, with graduates of the law college, and we see this in other incredible you know, movements in history, Mm. Calvin's company of pastors or the Clapham sect with William Wilberforce and his crew. Of course, John Newton has a a circle of, of pastors and the eclectic society that he's interfacing with. And so it, it, we see time and again, historically that these tight knit relational communities with the gospel at the center. And that's, that's a powerful, a powerful combination. Mm. Um and then I, I guess I just the last thing I'd say is, you know, I think we need to be careful not to despise the day of small beginnings. Um mm-hmm. and and just, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus uh shows himself strong in our in our weakness and he shows his power um in in people that you know don't have resources and don't have all of the bells and whistles and you know whatnot. And so it's I think I think in the log college we have this real vivid picture of a humble, small little school, um, mm. just trying to faithfully steward the, the grace that has been entrusted to them, the gifts that has been entrusted entrust, to them, for the sake of the kingdom, and then the fruit that comes as a result of that is it's absolutely incredible. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those are those are a few things that yeah. I think are. Yeah, that come to mind that we could learn, that we could pull from tenant yeah. and the Law College. I think
0: those are all good, good, good points to, to, to ruminate on and, uh, and Lord say, and say, Lord, um, help us, help us grow in these areas, help us to yeah. keep, keep the center, the center. And mm. um, yeah. That does bring us to the end of our time here together on this episode of the Reformation Fellowship podcast, and want to thank you, Michael, again for making time to be with us and for sharing uh, with us what you've learned about the Long College.
1: Uh, Justin, thank you so much. It's it's a joy. It's a joy to get to be with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union, and so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the Fellowship.